0: Nicole Whitney, News for the Soul, life-changing talk radio from the uplifting to the unexplained
1: news for the soul is now in its 25th year of broadcasting tune in live or visit the archives at newsforthesoul.com that's newsforthesoul.com next on news for the soul light body healing with dr. Lara dr. Lara is a functional medicine health coach an advanced practice clinical pharmacist specialist master intuitive healer and channel and international teacher and speaker on a mission to empower you to take an active role in your healing journey to achieve holistic health mastery of the mind body and spirit dr. Lara combines energy medicine with functional medicine to facilitate healing at the root level Call in now to speak with Dr. Lara today 646-595-4274 646-595-4274 Please welcome Dr. Lara back to News for the Soul Hello
0: and welcome to the latest episode of Light Body Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Lara May, and today I have with me Rick Olderman, who is a sports and orthopedic physical therapist with more than 25 years experience that specializes in helping people with chronic pain experience a pain-free life. He graduated with his master's degree from the Cranert School of Physical Therapy at the University of Indianapolis in 1996. Rick has written a popular Fixing You series of books found on Amazon to help people with chronic pain or injuries, and today Rick wants to show you how to live completely pain-free without the need for medication, so I'm super excited to have you here today, Rick. Thanks for joining me.
2: Thank you, Dr. Lara. I'm excited to be here.
0: So I would love to, I usually like to start with hearing the story behind our guests and how they came to be passionate about what they're doing today. Can we start there?
2: Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, uh, I was in my 20s and uh, I had hurt my back. And at the time, I was also volunteering at a physical therapy clinic, uh, you know, folding sheets and things like that. And uh, one of the therapists noticed that I wasn't moving very well because of it. And he generously treated me for a couple sessions and took away my back pain completely, which was great. But it came back a, a couple of weeks later. And of course, I didn't want to bother them, you know. So uh, I realized that I needed to try and figure out how all this works myself because I instinctively felt that there was something I must be doing that's causing this pain to happen. And so I went to PT school hoping to get all the insider secrets. Uh, of course, those never came. <laughs> our, our training is more geared towards understanding the components of the back, and understanding the tissues that become irritated and identifying those, rather than understanding why the tissues are becoming irritated. And so, uh, and this uh, this played out kind of in my first job as a PT. I felt I was a miserable failure with anything other than simple problems like strains, sprains, or post-surgical issues anything chronic, chronic back pain, sciatic pain, neck pain, so forth, I really struggled with. And uh, so I was faced with a choice of either quitting or trying to figure it out. And uh, so I just continued working and figuring this out, putting um, basically three different uh, schools of thought together into one system. And I've developed this Fixing You uh, approach, which is based on uh, on why we're having pain and solving those whys. And I found that if you can solve the why, you'll solve your pain for good.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's true with so many other things too, right? You understand oh, sure. the why underneath it. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things that I do in functional medicine too, is not only do I as the practitioner investigate to try to get to the root, but then I try to help my clients too also understand the why of how did they end up here in a way that's empowering so that they can understand why they're implementing the changes, like sort of like also the why behind what we're doing, what we're doing to fix it, you know?
2: Yeah. Do you mind if I say something about that, Dr. Laura? Yeah, go ahead. Because all of our, all of our whys as practitioners are different. And many of your listeners have probably Experience that. They go to one practitioner, they say that this is why it's happening. And this is another one, this is why it's happening. And I really learned a valuable lesson uh, in one of the seminar series I was taking by Dr. Shirley Sarman. She's a professor out of University of uh, Washington in St. Louis, whom I base a lot of my biomechanics off of. She's written a couple textbooks and so forth. But anyway, I I made friends with one of the physical therapists there at the seminar. And we had, uh, it turns out that we saw each other at each successive uh, session uh, over the ensuing couple of years. And finally at the final session, I ran into him again. And I said, Hey, how's this information working for you? And, and he said, eh, you know, uh, it's okay. I might use some of it for a home program or something. I said, well, I'm getting amazing results. You know, it works. Why don't, why aren't you using it? He says, well, you know, I'm a manual therapist, so you know, I, I don't really. This isn't my way of of really working with patients. And that's when I, re, I that's when I realized that we as practitioners have a belief system that can filter out things that can be useful. And mm-hmm. so I think it's and and it's not only in medicine. Uh, it's in law. It's in almost any career you can come across. Is that uh, we have a belief system that we Uh, filter our information through, and that uh, kind of, and and that helps us decide what to pay attention to and what not to pay attention to, Mm -hmm. and so his belief system, his why's came from, oh, well, you've got a rotated vertebra that's causing your back pain. Here, I'm going to fix this. That's why it's happening. That's completely different than my why, which is, oh, this this is happening because of how you're walking, and how you're sitting and moving from sit to stand. This is what's causing these problems. And then that's created these tighter, weak muscles. So what we're going to do is solve these habits. And then we're going to solve the tighter, weak muscles too. And so uh, we'll get a complete solution for you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's no practitioner I've run into that has ever said that they're not interested in solving the root causes of issues. Uh, I I think it's, it's an often used... Uh, term out there, but I believe that it really is based on our belief systems and that the um, the I, I believe that patients and clients out there in, in the community who's looking to be solved needs to understand that there are filters happening that uh, you know the practitioners are basing their belief system off of and mm-hmm. so that's why there are different why's between for instance you and me and you know another physical therapist or another you know, whoever. So that's why we're running into so many different types of answers all the time.
0: Yes, that's so true. I love that. Thank you for pointing that out. And, right. and in some ways it's, it's so funny that it's multifactorial, you know, there's the, the human nature side of things where it's just our evolutionary approach to have that implicit bias. And then there's the education aspect. How are we educated and you know and taught to look at things a certain way and then there's life experience and it's funny i'm in um a life coach training program right now that is one of their primary tenets is to take that bias out like untrain that bias out of you as the coach to you know to really be as objective as possible so i think it brings a whole new awareness both as um as the practitioner, but also you get to see your clients in such a different way. Um, So yes, thank you for bringing that forward. I love that.
2: I I agree. And one of the things that helped me uh, be open to other points of view is because I was such a failure (laughs) as a PT early in my career, I really, I realized that, you know, the points of view that of the traditional approach to physical therapy just weren't working for people with chronic pain. And so uh, if a patient was not responding to my treatment, it was my job to figure out why. And so that led me down this, of course, this biomechanical approach, but also an emotional psychological trauma uh, approach as well. And I also appreciate, even though I'm not really trained in it, that there are dietary and physiological, you know, things that we ingest like molds and allergens and dietary issues that also our, our body is responding to. So while I'm not an expert in either of those two areas, uh, I'm aware that they are occurring and I'm open to people with, who are seeking solutions for those too.
0: Yeah. And I think that's really valuable that um, I'm really glad you said that too, because as I always tell people, they need a team, they need a, a medical healthcare wellness journey team around them. And so if they are struggling with uh, chronic pain and they're not finding the solutions that they were looking for with you know a traditional western approach then usually they seek out other practitioners and i think it's really valuable for practitioners like yourself that like you said might not be experts but do understand uh, the value and the implications of some of these other things that a more functional or integrative practitioner might be seeking to treat that underlying inflammation. So with that being said, there's, is, I want to ask a question and it might be too big, too broad and too oversimplified, but you tell me and we'll go from there. (laughs) So (laughs) how can people truly understand why? Is it possible to have a basic understanding of, or is it so multifactorial that it's too complicated? Um, What is the why?
2: Well, it's a great question. So um, uh, I describe pain, uh, no matter who's having it, especially chronic pain as there's a threshold above what you're experiencing this chronic pain. Okay. You reach the threshold and boom, now you've got pain. So some of us are really close to that threshold. We're right just below it at all times of the day. And some of us have a big buffer between reaching that thresh- threshold and going above it. And I have found that there are three things that seem to push us up towards and over that threshold. One are physical issues, which is what I specialize in. Uh, Another is emotional psychological uh, issues. And the third is dietary uh, or things that we ingest like allergens, molds, things like that. So fortunately, my focus has been on the biomechanical issues, but that has also taken me into the realm of the emotional psychological and a little bit of the things that we ingest side of things. So fortunately, my results are pretty consistent. So if someone is not responding to what I'm doing, there is either a structural problem going on like a tear or something like that, or that that we can't overcome and they will need a procedure like surgery for, or that there is a compounding factor like an emotional or psychological or dietary nutritional aspect. Now, my extent for instance, uh, I think it's common knowledge that you know gluten is often an, an inflammatory uh, uh, product for a lot of people. So uh, when I run into that barrier that oh they're only getting you know 80% better, where's that last 20% coming from? Then I suggest you know you might have an inflammatory issue going on here. Do you eat a lot of gluten? Have you ever tried you know gluten free? And that's my introduction to the idea of hey something you may be eating or ingesting is causing some other inflammatory issue going on here. And if they say, you know, absolutely not, then, then and, and there are certain uh, things that I see on the human body that how people respond to that alert me to the possibility of an emotional trauma or psychological response a- acting here too. So then I'll say, you know what, I wonder, you know, have you had emotional trauma? Do you deal with anxiety? Are there, are there big stressors in your life that are unresolved? That maybe this also, this tension pattern is, is coming from. And so usually one or two of those that I introduce to them, people say, you know what? I think you're right. And so, you know, hey, I'll continue to work with, with you on this physical part, but I really think you need to see someone about this, either dietary or emotional, psychological. So I, I think it's hard for patients to know this unless they're just listening to me now and they're just like, you know what? I really maybe that unresolved emotional issue is one of the things that's causing this tension pattern in my pain, because it does cause tension patterns in the body. But I I think one of the things that helps me as a practitioner is because, is that my results are so uh, consistent. I really, I really have a good track record for identifying, Hey, I think you either have an emotional or an ingestion issue going on here that we also need to resolve here. And most people, because I've been able to show them success already, they're they're willing to listen to me and explore those other possibilities because we've already had that success and they trust me.
1: Mm-hmm. I
2: don't, so it's a gr- really good question. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think there's a book that someone can read that says, oh, yeah, this is what I have. You know, in terms of mm-hmm. those other multifactorial issues, uh, other than just really – taking an honest look at their lives
0: right which even in and that of itself is a big step for a lot of people oh yeah um yeah so yeah it's not something that i talk about often it just seems that the direction of these conversations on this show don't go in this direction but it is very true Mm -hmm. that when you have a high inflammatory load in your body whether that's through emotions, trauma, food, lifestyle, sleep, all of those things. Then, mm. usually the the conversation that I have goes in the direction of you know autoimmune or or some sort of a health condition that stems from that. But all, pain is one of those things because, like you said, you have a natural threshold. And at your baseline, if everything was hunky-dory, then probably that threshold is a little higher. Your body is able to handle those signals because, you know, pain comes down to signaling in the body, in the nerve cells, in the muscles, in the tissues. And, you know, the the other thing that is really interesting that I think about chronic pain, and this is something that I uh, tell people when they come to me in the hospital and I'm, able to talk to them about their medication. So my Western medicine side of my career is that if they're either at the beginning stages of their pain journey is to um, not ignore it because the longer that pain goes untreated, your body finds new pathways, right, to express it to you. Whenever you have something out of balance and you ignore, 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 your body will create new ways to tell you that there's something out of balance absolutely
2: true.
0: Yeah. And that inflammatory burden can also be one of those things that like that's definitely structural in some cases. Yes. But then, like we said earlier, that it could be anything from, you know, like you have a very inflammatory lifestyle of eating or drinking or whatever it is. And so your body is just so overwhelmed with inflammation that anything extra on top of that is now going to send the signal your body's going to be like, Hey, you need to pay attention over here. And that might express itself as pain. Would you say that that's sort of right on or?
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I would. Uh, I I think that, you know, pain is a signal that something is wrong now with your body. And so if you can solve it now, that pain should change relatively quickly. And, you know, as, as I described that multifactorial approach, the physical, emotional, psychological or things that we ingest, you know, the physical could be 50% of that pain and the other 30% is emotional, psychological, and then you have another 20% that's this dietary. It can be different percentages in different people. And so mm-hmm. th- that's why, you know, that's why you have to remain open to the pos- these possibilities. And I, I don't feel that... You know, in Western medicine, traditional Western medicine, you know, when we venture into the realm of chronic pain, I think we don't do very well there. And oh, we're really that. good at, at, at acute things. And, you know, if something can be seen on a scan, then we're great at solving that stuff. But things that can't be seen on the scam or scan or do, don't come up in a test, we're really, uh, I think, a bit lost. And that's, I believe that's why so many people have chronic pain is because Western medicine really doesn't address these types of issues very well. One of the reasons I believe is because the gold standard of Western medicine is to uh, base all your treatment on evidence and research. Well, Mm -hmm. the the very nature of evidence and research uh, is that things have to be isolated and then tested and see what that thing does in the body. Well, our bodies work as systems. We don't work as components. Components are only, it's like looking at a pixel and trying to see the whole picture based on one pixel. And so we're really good in in Western medicine at figuring out what those pixels are. No body of knowledge that's really trying to put all those pixels back together into what a human being is Mm -hmm. as as a whole. And I think, I think that's one of the, and I'm not, anti-Western medicine. I mean, it's, I mean, I'm part of that system and it it works great for most things, but when it comes to chronic pain, then we have to start thinking about other answers.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Absolutely. And it's just interesting to me. If we look historically at the evolution of Western medicine, I can see how breaking the, long time ago when we didn't know a lot, I can see how breaking the body down into its individual components its organ systems was a way for us to better understand it. But now that we do have such a deep understanding literally on the cellular level and the protein level, even Mm
1: -hmm. that
0: now it's time that I think we need to adjust our, both our education, our, our research models so much. I really think uh, that Western medicine could benefit by sort of getting out of that dogmatic uh, direction that it's taken and uh again just being open minded and looking at really coming back to the area of being inventive and asking the the creative questions and looking for the creative solutions instead of saying oh well this is the model we have to follow otherwise it's not valid or you know it can't be you know taken seriously or any any of those things so
2: um yeah and if you yeah. if you deal with chronic anyone with chronic pain you have to be <laughs> uh, a creative thinker and willing to entertain other ideas, and mm-hmm. and this is the other thing that I've noticed. I don't know if you've noticed this, Dr. Laura, but a lot of uh, articles I've been reading lately are classifying chronic pain as a disease now, instead of and and I don't really like that classification because it, it's saying that there is something beyond our control, basically. Like a disease process that's occurring, mm-hmm. that and I, I think it's because we maybe our hubris that if if we can't solve it, oh well, it must be a disease, right? Because uh, and and I, I I feel bad for the patients who read those comments and say, oh, I've got a disease. That's why no one can help me. No, it's not that's not really why it's, it's because you, you know, you haven't found the right practitioner who's a creative thinker and willing to entertain other ideas, you know, it's most likely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Reason. Cause it also introduces this thought process within the patient of, Oh, I have this thing that's never going to be healed, cured, right. or fixed, or now yeah. I'm, or I'm chronically broken in some way, shape or form, which is really detrimental because, I am a big fan and believer that you can you can heal yourself with the power of your mind, which then helps, you know, pave the way for you to create these supportive, healthy practices in your life that lead to the healing and support the healing journey. So,
2: absolutely, well, I
0: totally agree with you.
2: Here's the evidence for that. If you cut your finger, it heals. If you break a bone, it mends. So our bodies are capable of healing, but we have to create the proper environment for that healing to occur. We have to remove the hurdles and the obstacles that are keeping that from happening. And so uh, yeah, if, if you're not healing, chances are you haven't struck upon whatever hurdles are in your way yet. But I believe that if you, if you keep looking, you and, and be creative in your thinking that you will find the practitioner or the information that you're seeking.
0: Mm-hmm. So on that note, since we're um, about 20 minutes in, we haven't even talked about what your method is. What is the fixing you method?
2: <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. So basically it's kind of, uh, so again, my, my realm of, of helping people deals mostly with the physical aspects of things. And what I have learned is that how we are using our bodies and, and this, this sounds like a, a duh kind of moment for a lot of your listeners, probably. How we're using our bodies has a lot to do with why we're having chronic pain, right? And but I'm telling you, in medicine, we're not trained to think this way. What we're trained to do is, where's that evidence to show that your walking pattern is causing that back pain? Well, it's too multifactorial to create a research, you know, paper out of this. So anyway, so I've been. This is all based on my clinical research and success with my books and so forth. So basically, it, I can just take your listeners through a, a real basic idea of, of how this works, if, if you don't mind. Um, Please. Most, most people listening probably have back pain. So if they lie down on the floor, try this little test. Lie down on the floor. You, it can be on your couch or your bed, whatever is most comfortable for you. But I want your legs to be straight. And keep your legs straight. Lie there for about 15 to 30 seconds. And I want you to feel what your back feels like in this position. Okay. So now, the second part of the test is we're going to now bend your knees. So your feet can be flat on the floor, or your knees will be hugged to your chest in some way, and compare how your back feels there versus how your back felt when your legs were straight. Dr. Laura, can you can you guess which position feels more comfortable for most people?
0: I would guess that the
2: for most people would be the the legs bent. The knees. Absolutely bent. right. You're absolutely correct. So what's happening? Why would that affect the backs? All right. Well, if you straighten your legs, you're going to feel that your back is trying to arch more when the legs are straight than when your knees are bent. Simple as that. The back is just a little flatter. So uh, what we're doing is we're eliminating forces that are trying to pull your back into that arch. And this is one of the basic patterns of back pain that almost 99% of people with back, chronic back pain have is that their back feels worse with more arching. I call it an extension problem. So now that you've determined that this is the pattern with your back, now everyone just stand up and listen to this podcast. And if you stand up for a while, and if you stand up for, let's say, the next two or three minutes while listening, what you'll notice probably is that your one or both of your knees are locking backwards or straight. And... If you've noticed that, now what I want you to do is unlock your knees and feel what just happened to your low back when you did that. And if you didn't feel anything, lock your knees again so that they're straight backwards and feel what just happened to your back. You will notice that when you lock your knees, your back is more arched. And when you unlock your knees, your back is softer. Well, we just found out on the floor that your back pain is worse when your back is arched. And now we've just learned that you typically stand when you lock either one or both knees, which is contributing to more arching and your back pain. So these are the, I, I mean, I help just with this one little tip alone to get people to stop locking their knees solves so much chronic back pain. So uh, this is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about how we are using our body. These unconscious habits like standing and locking your knees are not registering in our brain because this is the way we've always done it. Our brain doesn't know how to link that habit to our pain. So that's what my programs help people do is find those linkages, those habits that are contributing to their pain. And we not only solve those, but we solve the tight or weak muscles that have developed because of those habits that are further, for instance, pulling the back into an arch. Mm. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. And for me, when you describe that, it, uh, the thing, the first thing that pops into my head is uh, the sit-stand stations that a lot of us have at our desks, and they're fantastic mm-hmm. because they encourage us to move more during the day. But if, like you said, if you're in the stand position and you're locking your knees, then you could cr- be creating uh, pain for yourself unconsciously.
2: Absolutely, and that also contributes to shoulder, neck, and neck pain and headaches. So uh, if if we stay on the theme of uh, back pain at the standing desk, here's one little easy thing that you can do. Well, you can either unlock your knees while you're standing there, or you'll notice that when your feet are standing in parallel, for instance, when they're side by side, your back tends to arch. But if you stagger your stance a little bit and shift your weight to the forward leg and unlock that knee, now you've got one leg primarily holding you up, and you'll notice that your back unlocks in that position. So what you can do is periodically stagger your stance from one leg to the other and load the, the front leg with the knee soft and that will also remove back pain while at your standing station.
0: Oh I love that. Thank you. That's awesome. Simple,
2: simple stuff like that. I'm telling you, if you think about how long you walk how often you walk or stand during the day, and now you've just learned that, wow, I locked my knees, and if I just unlock my knees, I wonder what that will do. I'm telling you, if you just practice that one tip in the next two or three days, you'll probably see your back pain diminish significantly. It's that Mm. powerful.
0: Awesome. All right, everybody, I want you to try that, and then you have to send us feedback. (laughs) Tell us how it goes. There we
2: go. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) The homework. (laughs) Because that's what it's all about, right? Yeah, you've got to get the feedback to figure out what's going on, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I
0: have another um, body question. What about shoulder pain? I read this interesting thing that if you're having shoulder pain, then armrests are not your friend. Is that true? Do you agree with that?
2: It is the opposite, actually. So uh, I can see where that comment comes from because most armrests are sitting too low. So uh, here's what uh, the fundamental idea of shoulder. So the shoulder girdle, uh, also plays into neck pain and headaches. So this is a really good topic to talk about. If if your listeners uh, Google the skeleton, the human body skeleton, they'll notice that the short, the shoulder blade is very similar to a pelvic bone. And we all know that the pelvic bone, this broad, flat, weird-shaped bone, or both both of those bones, are the center of function for our lower body mechanics and our low back. Same goes for the shoulder. The shoulder blade is the center of function for the upper body system, which also reaches into the neck and the head. So there are rules about how that shoulder blade should be resting and moving. The most common problem with most chronic neck pain, headaches and shoulder pain is that the shoulder blades are resting too low on the on the on the frame. And I call this depressed sh- shoulder blades or depressed scapula. So If you go to your chair at work, you'll notice that the arms of the chair are usually too far away from the body, and so you have to almost reach down to get there. Or if they're closer to your body, few arms of chairs come up high enough to actually unload the whole upper body system for us. So by virtue of reaching down to that armrest, we're actually causing more problems because we're trying to rest on it, and we're resting unnaturally low. There are other reasons depressed shoulder blades occur, too. So if you bring your shoulder uh, armrests up as high as possible and in as close as possible to your body and rest there, you'll probably notice that your shoulder pain diminishes significantly. Now, if you Mm -hmm. uh, have shoulder armrests that can't do that, and many can't because, uh, I, I think most chairs are too big for most females. They're just mm-hmm. massive things, right? They're too mm-hmm. deep. They're too wide, all this kind of stuff. So just take a pillow from home, fold it in half, and shove it between your body and the arm of your chair. And you'll notice that that pillow is resting higher than the armrest and that your shoulder will be resting up a quarter or a half inch higher than normal. You will probably have the best workday that you've had in years if you did have both sides because it's now – your whole shoulder girdle system is now supported – And it's unloading the connections from the shoulder blades into your neck and your head. Uh The other thing is, is that the keyboard then, so your arm should be resting where the seam of your shirt is in the midpoint of your trunk and your keyboard then should be resting right where your hands are when your arm is in this position. Most people's keyboards are resting too far away from them. And Mm -hmm. what they're then doing is activating all of these shoulder, neck and head muscles, to try to hold up their arms all day long while they're typing. That's where the big problem comes from.
0: Hmm. Yes, I think uh, it was several years ago I had an ergonomic evaluation at work, and it was mainly stemming from my – I was developing carpal tunnel. But mm-hmm. the all the whole picture that came out of it was really great because I learned that we had a bunch of chairs in our department at that time that didn't even have arms. So yeah. Yeah, like you said, like you're literally <laughs> holding your arms up all day long right? Yeah.
2: <laughs> and you don't think yeah. about
0: something so simple like that, that can be so impactful on your body. And especially when you're doing it for eight to 12 hours a day, you know, you know, so many days a week that, um, it, it is really powerful just to make those little minute adjustments and to literally support your body in, in a better way. Um, So, yeah, that's fascinating. I love
2: it. Let's take it one step further. And let's say that you have a stressful work environment or you're unhappy with your job or, or whatever, uh, you know? So Mm -hmm. if you remember that scapular depression or that the shoulder blades are resting too low is one of the causes of most chronic shoulder, neck and neck pain and headaches. So when we're under stress, Deeper muscles in our shoulder girdle system that depress the shoulder blades activate more, and so that will contribute to the depression of the whole shoulder girdle system. So, mm. not only are you do you have the biomechanical positioning, but now you've added stress onto the situation that is activating these scapular some of these scapular depressors, which is contributing to the scapula, un, being unable to do anything but depress all day long.
0: Wow. I, I'm just going to take a, a breath to let that sink in for people. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a big deal. Yeah, the other thing that I was thinking about, too, as you were talking is that, so we have this process and we're compounding it with stress and and unhappiness. And then maybe we do something like yoga, and because of the position of our shoulder blades, I'm thinking specifically of, like, going from down dog, you know, to plank up dog, uh, and perhaps even, you know, a chaturanga if that's in your practice, and how maybe even those uh, misalignments can also contribute to a further injury or, or actual, like, creating an acute injury if, if it's something that we're unaware of.
2: Absolutely. And and I don't, I don't want to pick on yoga uh, for this, but one of the most common cueing uh, systems in yoga is to bring your shoulder blades down and back into their opposite back, into their back pocket.
0: Yes. And that is the opposite.
2: (laughs) That is opposite of how the shoulder girdle system works though. And so I believe that that is not a true yoga uh, cue. I believe that that has, has, uh, uh, come into yoga because of dance, because oh, dancers have these long, beautiful necks. And I believe mm-hmm. that yoga has adopted that cueing because if you look at, at what, you, what we you know, believe is a perfect yoga instructor look, they have this long, erect neck, right? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and this uber upright posture, but they are depressing their shoulder blades to create the long, beautiful neck. So that aesthetic of having a pretty, beautiful, long neck, uh, while that has infiltrated yoga, it's infiltrated Pilates. If you look at gymnastics, when you see uh, a lot of the gymnasts dismount, they bring their arms up and you'll see their shoulder blades depress. This is Mm -hmm. the opposite of correct shoulder blade function. And uh, I don't believe it's actually true true yoga pose. I think it's just infiltrated I, from dance, a carryover. Yeah,
0: I would agree with you because I'm also, uh, so I'm certified in uh, like a vinyasa style practice, but also mm. in kundalini. And in kundalini, yeah. we do not say that. Though so that is definitely, right. it's more like just a focus on keeping your, your neck and your spine in a neutral position. Yes. So there's not yeah. any of this, yeah.
2: I've seen lots of problems from that cueing and then people adapt that because it's, it, you you know, the yoga instructor is your idol. You well, are the teacher, to yeah. So right. you are supposed to do
0: and what they say. So,
2: <laughs> right, and so it's not only happening in the yoga session, people are, are implementing that cueing outside of the yoga instruction, uh, yoga class too. And they take it to their work or their walking or whatever they're doing, they, mm-hmm. they recreate that cueing and that now it becomes pervasive throughout their day. And so this brings up another point One of the muscles that's connecting from the shoulder blade into the the neck bones uh, is called the levator scapula. And its it's job is just what its name says. Levator, it elevates the scapula, the shoulder blade. So it's job is to do that. So a lot of people listening will say, well, I don't have a problem with depressed shoulder blades. My shoulders ride too high. And that's what happens when I get stressed. No, that's actually not happening. So what is happening is that the levator scapula, which attaches to that b- top inside corner of the shoulder blade and runs into the neck.
1: Mm-hmm. It
2: is activating because all of your scapular depressors are trying to pull everything down and they are massive, not to mention gravity, right? So you have all mm-hmm. these big muscles and gravity pulling the whole shoulder system down, which weighs about 15 to 20 pounds. And you've got one little pinky muscle to elevate your scapula. That's tr- its job is to pull it up. So it is overly activated in these scenarios. And that's the sensation that people have when they feel like their shoulders are climbing up to their ears. It's their levator scapula actually getting overly activated, trying to compensate for all the scapular depression that's occurring because of the stress levels.
0: Wow. Wow. I love this. This is fascinating.
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I've just been unraveling this for, you know, two decades. So, I mean, to find all of these, um, solutions, Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's been life changing for a lot of people and myself as a practitioner, you know, um, because it works.
0: So I'm just curious since we were on the subject of yoga. So if, you know, you were a yoga teacher and you, would you just, you know, cue people to just like, let's say mountain pose, for because mountain pose, Tadasana is one of those poses where they, you know, cue you to, you know, roll your shoulder blades back and down. Would your cue just to be like stand in a, again, like neutral comfortable position and not physically roll those up and back and down?
2: Well, I'll tell you what, I mean, I'm not a yoga instructor. I don't want to go against anyone's training, but okay. if, 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 if you are, cause I'll get a lot of angry emails, <laughs> but, uh, If you are that instructor and that is your training, go ahead and do that, but then do something that reverses that cueing. Now that you know that that cueing is wrong, reverse it before moving on to the next pose. So if you're going to roll the shoulders down and back, let them roll it up and forward.
0: And forward. and
2: And then find a happy medium somewhere between the two where they're relaxed but not working. And that's the key is the shoulder girdle system is not designed for posture. It's not, it's not supposed to be, uh, those muscles are not designed for posture. They are, what they are doing by activating them, they are cueing postural changes, but that is not how our bodies are built to achieve proper posture. So if those poses and postures and training, maybe they're, uh, maybe they're addressing some other issue with the body but it shouldn't be a postural cueing they should Mm -hmm. the shoulder girls shouldn't be postural cueing at all it takes me a lot of time with my patients to decouple posture with shoulder positioning and the best thing that instructors can do is by all means continue but then follow it up with something that's going to reverse what you're doing and teach people how to relax their shoulders rather than depress them
0: yeah, I'll even say this shoulder thing now that I'm thinking about it because I grew up as a swimmer and um, yeah, back back a and big fly too. were yeah. my competitive strokes. So I can just still re- hear, you know, like don't hunch over. And you know, once you develop those those big shoulder muscles to do what you're doing as a especially as a, a butterfly swimmer. Um, I think there's a concern or a fear that you'll naturally start to like hunch and, you know, yeah. cause those pectoral don't get as much work as the shoulders. Um, mm. So I think there's that other part of like stand up straight, pull your, you know, pull your shoulders down, right. count, counteract that. But you're saying that that's Absolutely. not necessarily even necessary or true.
2: That, that's not how the body is organized. So what should be holding up your good posture is your core. And I can take your mm. listeners through a real simple way of doing that if, if you want to, yeah. but yeah, lucky, lucky. we need, we need to decouple the shoulder blades from posture. So the way that posture should be organized is if your listeners put one hand on their upper chest near their neck and the other hand on their tummy and take a deep breath in, they'll feel the rib cage rise and then lower. It rises with inhale and lowers with exhale. Okay, now if you go ahead and take that breath in again and feel the rib cage rise, this time when you exhale, don't let the rib cage go down all the way. It can go down 95% of the way or 99% of the way, but not all the way down. And you can exhale fully. You don't have to hold your breath to do that. You can exhale fully. And what you'll notice is that when you try and hold that rib cage up just a, a one degree or a few degrees higher than normal, that your stomach muscles have just engaged slightly, maybe a 5% engagement. That is your core holding up your posture. That's what it's designed to do. You have many sets of large abdominal muscles that are there for this purpose. All right? The second, so that is getting the abdominals to do this. Now, it, it, the idea is not to contract your stomach consciously. If you'll notice that when you do this breathing technique, your stomach muscles will engage naturally without thought. All you have to do is think about not letting the ribcage depress all the way. And then your stomach and core muscles are right there to save you. So the second half of this then is to bring your arms down by your sides Roll your shoulders around to relax them completely. Get them out of the equation. But most of your listeners have just learned that when they relax their shoulders, they just depress their, sh- their rib cage and their stomach disengaged. And it's because they've tied their shoulder girdle contraction posture instead of their core. That's why it let everything let go when they relax their shoulders. So this is the practice that they need to do to decouple that connection is to breathe in, exhale, let the rib cage go down most of the way, exhale fully, don't hold your breath, nothing like that. This core will turn on naturally and then roll the shoulders around, relaxing them while maintaining the rib cage slight elevation. Very simple, hard to do for a lot of people who have been trained to not to use their shoulders as their mm-hmm. posture cueing system.
0: Yeah, but so powerful, simple but powerful, and that's what we love here on this show, simple and powerful.
2: <laughs> yeah, if you have chronic neck pain or headaches, this alone will help you quite a bit, as well as the ergonomic uh, stuff that we just discussed, too.
0: Mhm. So tell everyone where they can find you, and uh, we haven't talked much about your books, but um, you can feel free to talk about all of the things.
2: Okay. Well, I I wrote my books a long time ago, uh, back in 2009 and 10. And so that was before I owned my own. And uh, I got to see a huge volume of people at my clinic. And it helped me understand where I was missing things in my books, because I would get lots of uh, people contacting me after reading my book. Hey, can you help me, you know, with this problem or that problem? And, and so uh, the clinic helped me see where I was going wrong as well as the, all those Skype sessions so many years ago. So I've recently developed uh, downloadable home programs to help people solve their own pain because I believe that all of the stuff, like you and I have been discussing, Dr. Lar, there's nothing that uh, necessitated me reaching through the speaker of someone's <laughs> phone or computer to fix something on their body. They have, the, they have the tools within them. They just don't have the right information. And so these downloadable home programs are will give you that information, show you how to fix the, the habits, as well as the tighter weak muscles associated with those habits to solve the pain. And those can be found at uh, fixingyoumethod.com. Um, and I've also created a practitioner course that offers CEUs for physical therapists anyway, a lot of CEUs. Um, and that can be found at www.healpatients.com faster.com. And then uh, if you want to, and I have some free stuff available for your listeners too. If they want to go to rickolderman.com, they can go there. But if okay. if your listeners end up buying anything, uh, if they just type in fixing you all one word in the coupon code, they'll get a 20% discount on whatever they, they purchased there.
1: Oh,
0: awesome. Thank you. Oh, sure. Well, I'm excited. I'm definitely going to look more into your programs. Um, That shoulder question was uh, definitely (laughs) had an ulterior motive.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, especially as a swimmer, I've seen lots of swimmers. And uh, yeah, you guys have some some rough business with those shoulders because you have to have a great range of motion and great strength. And it's a difficult combination to achieve without injuring something
0: yeah i have great grinding now too <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh yeah. um okay well is there is i've really enjoyed this conversation i really appreciate your time and your being here is there anything else that we haven't talked about we have a few more minutes uh that you want to bring forward or um i don't know anything well, else you want to we,
2: we've talked a lot about you know habits and not so much about tighter weak muscles but i i just want to uh, and, and I kind of touched on this earlier, is that, you know, one of the biggest uh, problems with most people's lower body or back pain issues, especially if they're chronic, is how they're walking. And mm-hmm. no one in my clinic got out of our clinic <laughs> without learning how to walk better, oh, that feeds their body rather than breaks it down. And this is one of the things is, uh, that, that w- concerns me in, in a lot of medical advice is that, oh, you need to start walking more. Well, a lot of people are walking really poorly, (laughs) and this is what's contributing to their pain. So if they're walking more, they're adding more volume to the actual problem. So that's why I I, I really highly recommend that if you have chronic lower body issues or back pain uh, and you get my program, please pay attention to the walking recommendations and implement those your walking will change dramatically. It will—you will feel a significant change in your body because you're walking more correctly. And I'll tell you, I've had 80-year-olds who said, "Wait, I've been walking for you know, 75, 80 years, and and I, I haven't been doing it right." No, you haven't. And I'm going to show you how to do it right. <laughs> so <laughs> no one gets away without without solving that. So let that be a big clue for those uh, listeners out there that you know, walking is a really big deal It you can even play into neck pain and headaches so um, um, and, and, and then the last uh, thing I'd like to just mention is that a lot of you mentioned this early on in our conversation Dr. Lara that you know people feel broken uh, if they can't find a solution and and my message to people is you are not broken you just haven't had the right information all the elements in our bodies to heal ourselves naturally if we can figure out what it is that's in the way and what you do and what I do help the body reestablish, get rid of those obstacles and reestablish that better way of being and you will feel much better as a result.
0: Yes, absolutely. The body wants to be in a state of homeostasis, that, that uh, state of balance. And we just have to provide the tools and the environment for it to do that. And it'll do that naturally.
2: Exactly. It is a natural state of existence. Mm -hmm. Yes. Something unnatural is happening.
0: Right. Exactly. (laughs) So thank you again. And for all of you out there that are looking for all the links that he just mentioned, they'll be on my website on the show notes page for this episode which is drlaramay.com forward slash podcast is where all of the show notes pages live and just look for Rick Olderman's name there. And you can find all the links and the discount code that he mentioned. And again, thank you so much for being here. This was fascinating and um, I wish you well. And I hope everyone out there looks you up and takes advantage of all the amazing tools that you're offering so that they can also have, um, you know, a pain-free life because it is possible. And um, even those with, I feel like the, those chronic inflammatory conditions that you've been told by Western medicine, uh, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be that way. So thank you again. Thank,
2: thank you, Dr. Lara. I really appreciate it. And uh, thank you for what the work that you're doing as well.
0: All right, everyone. Till next time, we will see you on the flip side. hear all of our previously aired broadcasts of news for the soul online at newsforthesoul.com now let's get back to the
1: show